Dobrý večer. Good evening, everyone. I'm Sotala, director of the Center. And I'm really delighted to welcome so many of you uh, to the launch of a very special book of poems and drawings, The Gravitational Field of uh, Inexpressible, by Czech poet and architect uh, Pavla Melkova and uh, the leading uh, British sculptor uh, Anthony Corley, who joins us this evening to continue the artistic dialogue that I have to say started six years ago in Prague. I might say in this unusual dialogue, uh, as both our guests are well accomplished in other professional fields, thoughts on assets and thoughts on essence of life uh, will be transposed through words and drawings and will be further coupled uh, with the reading of poems by translator and poet uh, Joshua Mesh. The first part of the evening will consist of introductions of the book uh, by Paula and the projection of Anthony's images and the stage readings uh, also of Paula's uh, poem, followed by dialogue uh, between Anthony and Paula, and then the evening will conclude uh, with the Q&A with you, the, the audience uh, in the book signing. So needless to say, you might have noticed the table in front of the cinema. So uh, feel free to, uh, the, the book is available for, for purchase this evening here for very special, special price. So before I turn the floor to our guests, let me do a, a bit of the proper introductions uh, let me uh, uh, to start with Pavla Melkova, who is uh, multi-talented in many professions, I have to say. She's a practicing architect, uh, visual artist, poet, and, uh, and writer. Her recognized architecture is visible throughout the Czech Republic, where she has won numerous professional awards, including the Architect of the Year, the Prague Mayor Prize, and also the National Prize for Architecture. She has published a number of books on architecture, uh, most recently the humanistic role of architecture and the architecture of reciprocity, uh, I believe next on the table uh, as well. She's also an author of two volumes of poetry, The Edges of the Day and The Inner Time. I'm aware that there's no need to introduce our second guest to this audience here in uh, London, but nevertheless, let me just say that I'm very pleased that Anthony uh, accepted our invitation. Uh, he's very well acclaimed uh, sculptor, uh, known for his installation and public uh, artworks uh, as well. His work has been widely exhibited from the United States and, uh, of course, international. Internationally, he had a major solo exhibition uh, prior to COVID, I have to say, at the Royal Academy of Arts in 2019. And uh, there's a number of permanent uh, public works which you can view. We were just discussing uh, before we came down here uh, one of these mostly known uh, sculptures, Angel of the North. Uh, which is at the gate set, or the, uh, another one is uh, another place at Crosby uh, 
Beach to mention just a few. Let me just say that Anthony was awarded by many uh, awards. Uh, just mention some of them, the Turner Prize, the South Bank Prize for Visual Art, and also the Obayashi Prize. And uh, 25, 26 years ago, uh, Anthony was made an officer of the British Empire, and a few years later uh, received a knighthood. So uh, last but not least, I'd also like to is our third guest, which I already mentioned, Joshua Mesh, who is a poet and translator who is based in Prague and for the last 20, 20 years, but is also uh, writing uh, poetry and his last volumes of poems is Because, a lyric uh, memoir. So with that, I'd like to wish you an enjoyable evening and I'd like to turn the floor to our guest. First, we'll start with the book introduction by uh, Pavla Natkova. Okay, thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, I would like to uh, thank also to the publisher of the book, uh, Country Publishing House, uh, to the graphic designer Robert Novak, Joshua, translator, and most of all, thank you, Anthony, and also Czech Center, though we could be here. Uh, the book uh, is a continuation of a series of book formats such as this, in which I explore the possibilities of dialogue between the language of poetry and the language of visual art, uh, where the images are not illustrations to the poetry, and the poetry is written to steal the images, but both co-create a common theme. And the common theme of this book, uh, our book, is about searching, simply uh, about searching for the shape of the essence of things, which we cannot see exactly, uh, nor can we describe or draw it. We only try to approach it. And this book is about the ways, the line, such approach. This book have, uh, has uh, five chapters, and each is about one way, one shape of a such way, which is just common in the language of the poems and drawings. And uh, chapters are directing, encircling, overlapping, intersecting, and permitting. And I hope uh, our book invites the reader, the viewer, you, to the dialogue. Uh, we could say that through it, through the text, and images, one can then perceive the real world around him, perhaps a little differently than before, to open it up to a certain perception and experience. And now we would like to read and show you Andrew's drawings from the book each chapter and each poems which belongs to the chapter. Bydlím v dráze letu je střávu, stín křídla přes tvář. 
zve k následování. I live in a goshawk-like path. The wind's shadow across the face invites one to follow. Gesta stromů vznikají roky. Strom nemá klouby. Dokáže jen pomalu růst nebo zlomit se. The gestures of trees take years. A tree has no joints. It can only slowly grow or break itself. Procesí stromů míří osaměle chrámu, ale bez poutníků, elegie obzoru. A procession of trees heading alone to the temple. An alley without pilgrims, the horizon's elegy. Větve ryb lehce krouží s vychřicí. Kdo tančí, toho vítr nezlomí. Kámen nerozbije. Hrana nerozpolí. Linden branches lightly rotate with the whirlwind. Whoever dances, they the wind won't break. The stone won't crush. The blade won't cut. Říci to krátce, jako hvíznutí pěnkavy, zařechtání koně, štěknutí psa, výkřik sojky, zalkání srny. Tak sevřeně, plně, jasně. Say it briefly, like a finch's whistle, a horse's whinny, a dog's bark, a jay's cry, a doe's bleat. So tightly, fully, clearly. Kůmi stojí nehybný, kamení tíhou deště. Přijímá obrz hor, temní soumrakem, strážce pokory, stojí při nás, za nás. A horse stands motionless. Stones under rain's weight assume a mountain's silhouette, darkens in twilight. Guardian of humbleness, Stands by us, for us. Kopřivy ohlašuje vůně, hada ohlazení, bouři zář, bolest štěstí. Nettles announced by fragrance, a snake by a caress. A storm by a glow, pain by joy. Mlha, půst, tvaru, barev, jednotlivostí, 
ale jak duše, jež nesí víc. Fog, a lend of shapes, colors, details, a cure for the soul, which cannot bear more. Na co mysleli stromy na jaře, v létě, když střádali mízu barev, stigmata vytrská z dlaní listů, karmí touhy, žluč štěstí, umbralitosti, res strachu, nach lásky, zlato odříkání. What were the trees thinking about in spring, in summer, when they gathered the colors sap? Stigmata erupted from the leaves' palms. Carmine of desire, yellow of joy, umbra of grief, rust of fear, purple of love, gold of renunciation. Svist křídla, křiknutí straky, škrábavý pád listu, tak blízko, že zvuk se stává hmotou a párá poslední ochranou vrstvu těla. A wings hiss, a magpie's chatter, a scraping of falling leaves, so close that sound becomes matter and unravels the body's last protective layer. Kopertina, okruží běhostných křídel, v srdci malé slunce, v těle zepětí, přesto nikdy nevzletne. Daisy, a circle of pure white wings, in its heart a small sun, the body forced upward, Yet, it will never take off. Když pijí víno, myslím na hrozný. Když plavu, myslím na dno. Když skláním pohled, myslím na obzor. When I drink wine, I think of grapes. When I swim, I think of the bottom. When I go on my days, I think of the horizon. Cítit i chvění listu v lese na obzoru. Tolik doteků je příliš pro jednu duši. To feel even the leaves trembling in the horizon's forest. So many points of touch are excessive for a single soul. Řep nesmí zůstat v půli cesty. To bolí nejvíc. I hřeb knihy 
musí projít skrz. The nail mustn't remain halfway out. It hurts the most. Even the nail of tenderness must pass through. Popel v srdci nech vyhoří až klev kosti bez přísek. Teprve dní se zmizelé tvary vrací. Ash in the heart let it burn to the point of lightness without splinters. Only within it do vanished shapes return. Now, Anthony, our book, uh, Builds on the Reflections, we developed in connection with your exhibition in Prague in 2018. And uh, as a poet and also as an architect, uh, I have long been interested in the relationship of your works to space, uh, to the environments in which we exist how they connect the spaces with, within our souls, our bodies, and the spaces that surround us, and the blurring of the boundaries between them, and the fact that the shapes of these boundaries cannot be precisely defined. That's why you often talk about the energy field. Please uh, tell us something uh, about how you approach the shape of the contours of the world, not only in your drawings, but also in your sculptures. Boy, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, this is, this is in a way redundant. We just listen to words that have carried images and fugitive feelings that have been dropped into silence and into the space of this room that is also made by your attention. So this is a kind of unnecessary appendix in my view. Um, Having said that, um, I'm very moved by Pablo's sensibility because she combines an extraordinarily precise analysis of the structures of this world, and that's why she's such a remarkable architect, with an intuitive sense of how we can live in our experience through reflection. And I think we, to come close to her question, the thing about shape, um, the fact is that the things that matter most 
escape definition. And it's the whiteness on the page of this book that is as important as the words on it. It's the stillness of your attention that makes the space that the work of the words is doing yours to inhabit. So, for me, we were talking earlier about the state of art in our time that has been commodified and institutionalized and obsessed with its perhaps object nature and material or market value. Of course, that's irrelevant to what really matters. So far as I'm concerned, art is a place, a place where thoughts and feelings that we couldn't have otherwise had can arise. Anyway, that for me is the, the thing that perhaps links Pablo's work and, and mine. The idea that with the most stringent means, in other words, nothing extra, a cautiousness about adjectives, that you can pluck some shadow, some trace, some stain of experience and make it shareable. I mean, my drawings are pathetic. You know, they're, they're, uh, they are, well, they have more in common with a, you know, cardiogram, or, I mean, they are traces of a lived moment that are, well, the last section of us trying to evoke the place of being, the, the, the sight of being as the body, but on the whole, most of these drawings are, are, are yeah, lines often, or washes, that are not trying to define a shape, but uh, somehow create a web in which some idea of a being uh, could arise. And I think that's, the, you know, for, for me the beauty of the poetry is that it is inviting us to inhabit, as it were, those spaces between words that have been again, dropped into the stillness of our attention. Sorry, I, I don't know whether I've answered your questions. <laughs> I was only starting for you to tell what you want, Antonin.
the question was uh, how uh, you make uh, this shape of control of our world uh, from, from which which point it comes yeah because for example in my poetry uh, sometimes I say that my poems are also drawings yeah. uh, because I feel it like uh, I, I draw some line which uh, has to be uh, closed which has to be exact and uh, I feel it as a picture because maybe it's uh, because I'm an architect, but uh, I feel that uh, the architecture is subjective uh, perceiving of architecture. Uh, this is not what is around us, but this is what each of us feel as a picture of, of uh, perceiving it. And this is the architecture. Here is not here. It's in our mind the real picture of environment around us. So, uh, although my poems uh, has uh, basic uh, in a real world around us, I am not describing it, but I am describe something which I feel as a picture in my in my mind. And uh, what I try to ask you is the way how you. Uh, transfer this uh, field. What is your drawings and uh, sculptures? Have you similar feeling to, it's it's a picture of your perceiving, of your feeling these things, or? My question was about the way how you are going through, through your uh, feeling to the, to the final I know, uh, sculpture of any drawing. Because the way of, of, of uh, mm. I, I, I think the final is a problem because I think uh, everything is in process and I would like to think that everything I do in, in some senses is incomplete and is waiting for, you know, is waiting for you know, the attention somebody who comes across it. But in, 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 I think it is always between the lines. It always is the other side of the surface. It's always on the, the, the other, you know, the, that the weight of an object is in, in some way telling you about the well, the consistency of the space that we share with it. Um, so, when you say, how do you begin? I begin by just doing, and it's often just, uh, you know, I, a lot of these drawings are made simply by, by, by scarring the, the, the paper. And, uh, the, the paper is, uh, is, is, is soaked, first of all, in, in water, and usually dip it in that. I'm, I'm just going to be very practical now. I, I just dip it in, in a, a bath of water. Then I will, I will, uh, yeah, with a very wide brush, kind of put uh, some carbon, some carbon and cassine. Cassine is the, 
this is what carries the carbon. But then I will, using a, a, a needle, scar the paper or, or wound it. And it's the, in a way, it's, it's nothing to do with willing a form. It's about finding a form, or maybe not a form. It's actually what these repeated uh, lines, traces, marks do to the paper and then to each other, and then how this ground begins to work with itself. So the stars in the paper suck the pigment along with more moisture and end up being darker. And often they have kind of slight penumbra around them. And yeah, I this is not a picture of something. This is the trace of a moment of lived time that then becomes, in a way, kind of concentrated. And, you know, there are bad drawings and good drawings, and I'm not even sure whether I can tell the difference well enough. I mean, I throw away as many, or maybe more, than I keep. Um, but when you say, how do you begin? I think I begin... Everything to do with preparation is so important. You have to be still, you have to have your paper, your pure water, your pigment, and you, in a way, go into the space that is being, that is emerging for you. And on, on one level, it's also very physical, because it's a dance, and, and, and you are, in a, in a way, in the moment of the making. And I think it, the, the most important thing, and this is a repeat from where I started, is that this is a place, not a thing. I am not describing a thing. I am, I am trying to enter into a place that can become generative of uh, yeah, thinking and feeling. And um, you know, the the truth is that the, the work the work becomes ritualized. So so you know I will begin the clearing works which have evolved. They they're, they're not like you know the, the drawing on the covers is not like the drawing that I made the day before yesterday, even though it uses a similar technique. Um, as curiously, even returning to these, you could say, ritual movements, uh, yeah, something shifts and something uh, changes, and the, the places and spaces that, that arise are, are evolving. Yeah, uh, what you said about your drawings, it's exactly the reason why I choose drawings for our dialogue and not uh, sculptures, although the main focus in your work is on the sculptures. And uh, if I could read shortly from the book uh, about uh, your drawings, uh, we can view them as the traces 
of the process of liberating thought from materiality. Those still material, the sketch, like words on paper, like poems, stands at the final boundary between full dematerialization, the lightness of two-dimensionality, the end of the most direct trajectory between thought, gesture of hand, trace of stroke on paper, immediate within time and space, since the stroke occurs at the moment of the thought, and the hand movement is only the extended thought. And my question is, uh, how do you feel uh, a relationship between your drawings and sculptures, and maybe uh, importance of both of them for you personally or for, for the work? I'm going to answer that question and then I'm going to ask Pablo on to the person I think I'm taking up too much to see. Um, the, the truth is that uh, the, the sculpture and the drawings are, start from exactly the same place, which is trying to uh, concentrate a moment of lived time, of being. And uh, sculpture is a curious thing um, insofar as it is not, in my view, about making a picture of things that already exist. It's about changing the world by putting something that hasn't been in the world in that form yet into it. And as a result, the world changes. It's of a very radical different form. Uh, to painting, for example. Um, sculpture has certainly in its Western, in its Occidental history, often been used to uh, embody moral certainties, national pride, uh, yeah. A whole range of, you could say, uh, emblematic functions. I, I think that's a you know, very unworthy use of its stillness and silence. Um, sculpture is a is a still silent thing that is in our world, but causes us, if it's working at all, to move around it. It lacks everything that we possess, thought, feeling, will. And we, if it works at all, project that which it lacks onto it. And, you know, for, for me, you know, the, the standing stone remains the Boer sculpture. This thing that might have been a natural stone that was lying on the ground that uh, our ancestors decided to put upright. What did that do? That marked a place. But that also marked a time. And it confronts us in our biological strata of temporal experience. 
with another, in a way, dimension of time, sidereal time. Uh, the time of the planet. And I think that's what Sartre can do. I think the drawings, the drawings are kind of the cousins of what our Paleolithic forgotten ancestors did uh, on the cave walls, traceries of of existence that uh, yeah try to somehow make a connection between yeah, our jeopardy and uh, and the. Uh, the movement of, of the planets that are our final context. Anyway, um, it's my turn, Pablo, uh, and then I'll ask you a question or two. I was absolutely delighted that you started this evening with the poem uh, that has the Gorsalk's flag path in it. Um, I live in a Gorsalk's flag path the wind's shadow across the face invites one to follow. That, uh, I mean, there's a very strong, uh, I think, sympathy in this group of poems for the natural world, for the creatures with which we share the biosphere. That wonderful image of the stillness and waiting nature of a standing horse that was in one of the poems that you read. And that, that, um, that idea somehow with the example of our fellow animals, there is a there's a promise of a way of being that somehow in our hermeneutic world we've lost. And I just wanted to compare that poem with uh, another. What did you forget of mine that you're still coming back? Where have I failed to turn off the outside lights? twist the signposts, tear down the bridges, day into night, summer into winter, water into the desert. Anyway, that, in that poem, what I see is, well, a rare kind of picture of domestic life, of in a way, those maybe small arguments that creep into our kind of uh, particularly during the three years of lockdown, where we were really kind of, who's put the garbage out, kind of arguments happened, I'm sure, to all of us. But it's interesting, in, in Pablo's work, what I, what I feel very deeply is that there is this consolation within nature, within, you know, the cloud and the snow, that somehow puts human existence and, in, in a way, its pettiness into a, a wider context. So the question for you, Pablo, is, you know, 
you turn away from, you could say, human intimacies towards, in a way, the, the events of nature for your subject matter. What I feel is something similar in nature, in uh, physical, uh, man's environment, uh, could be architecture, uh, and inside us, and uh, this is, uh, these are the relationships, relationships. Uh, and uh, I see the same relationships, maybe space relationships, like sharpness and uh, softness, or openness and uh, closeness and so on. Uh, and I feel the same, uh, for example, in this room, the sharpness of the corner, uh, the openness and so on. Uh, and the same in the nature, uh, what stone uh, could make, or what tree, what uh, openness of uh, sky could uh, have relationships with uh, some hardness of something. And uh, I think that what we feel inside us, uh, fear, uh, happiness, and so on, we could uh, transfer metaphorically, met 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 metaphor in a metaphorical way, to the same relationships. And could be nature, could be architecture, could be relationships between people, but this is the same shape for me, the same, same shape of these relationships. So, yeah, that, um, I wanted to ask you about architecture, um, because in, in falling into the, the uh, maybe the Corbusier trap, that you know, architecture is a machine for living, we think of, in a way, those duties of shelter and, and, and comfort as being the primary functions of architecture, but of course, it never has been. Buildings make you feel things. And in response to what you've just said, I guess I'm interested to know how you reconcile could say the functionality of a stairway or you know, the need for natural light to penetrate a building with your very profound sense of architecture as in a way uh, a form of space doctrine that allows for flourishing, that allows for well-being, that allows for in a way uh, yeah, human Maybe close to our topic, which is language, language of art and language of poetry. And for me, the same important character of architecture, one of important characters of architecture is also language. Uh, the way how uh, the architecture communicate with us. And 
uh, I believe that uh, I think there are three languages. Uh, one language is how we as people perceive environment around us. The second language is uh, how we and me and, and uh, Joshua could interpret environment through language of art. And the third one is the language which, from which architecture communicate or environment communicate with us as people. And I believe that me as an we as architects uh, have to use this language and that uh, it's important for us to know it, to know how people uh, perceive environment. And I believe that all these four languages is one language, one the same. And what I try to do as an architect is to understand this language and to be able to put this language into the architecture and then this architecture could uh, speak through this language to the people, so this is one circle and one language for me. But you you haven't talked about material, about the, in a way, the stoneness of stone or the reflectivity of glass or the, uh, the weight of concrete or how does that, how, because how, it seems to me that, that uh, architecture is as dependent on, as it were, the, the resonance of material as it is uh, on the spaces that are kind of created, displaced, or put into relationship one with the other through them. Uh, maybe it's a reversible process, yeah? Because maybe uh, I could first imagine uh, the final point, how the man will perceive the architecture we propose in the moment. So, for example, when I could uh, imagine this feeling of stone, this feeling of material, which is in the bones also. So, then I could uh, put it in the real material. But I start with this imagination, how people will feel uh, uh, inside these materials, inside the space, so it could be very uh, help, help. It could help uh, to be able to feel it like in this poetry, because it helped to how to create it through the materiality as you talk about it. I think. I mean, the this is tool. The materiality is for me the tool. Space and materiality is for me the tool to create the scene, scene uh, for these feelings. But it's interesting, Nick, because you could, you could start with, uh, in a way, what you imagine relationships between people might be uh, through, as it were, coming into the interior structures of, of, of architecture. And I, I just don't know whether, you know, I, I just am very, very aware of architecture having become, in a way, the language of urban farming uh, in a late capital context where actually just functionality, have you got two bedrooms or three bedrooms and 
somewhere as the balcony and all of these really like really basic um, well the opposite of poetry <laughs> if, if you like and I just I, I suppose there have been all sorts of, of attempts um, to rethink architecture as an expression of the potential if not the actuality of social relations and um, I don't know, I was just recently um, in, in Wuppertal and uh, visited Ranze, uh, uh, anyway, a, ha a, 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 a house that was entirely based on an analysis of how people relate to food and from food how they relate to each other. So the whole of the house was, was, was seen in terms of mobile diagrams of how the life of this house would move from the kitchen to the dining room to the living room to the bedroom and what the what the density of those as it were or the the the, the if you think of it as a river how wide and deep the river between the kitchen and, and the dining room was in relation to the width of the river from from the dining room to the bedroom and it, it totally transformed my yeah, understanding because we always think of architecture in a way from the outside and from, I mean in terms of the arrangement of boxes and in those boxes then all of these prosthetics that um, in the culture of the chair in which we live we fill those boxes and anyway for me it was a well it was a bit of a revelation to see this organic the, 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 the basis of architecture being well how are we how are we living and can can the architecture in some way encourage and and understand these human uh, as it were habits and create a habitat that responds to that um, anyway a very different way rather than starting as it were, with the idea that we have to contain and shelter, uh, starting with the idea of the processes and, and, and human interactions that might happen first. I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, the answer could be, I don't feel architecture as any building. Yeah? Maybe this is what you are talking about. For me, architecture, is uh, something uh, which is uh, landscape, uh, building, people inside. I, I say that architecture is not the object, but uh, the life in the object, yeah? which is very close to my theory of the picture of perceiving uh, surrounding environment. And also, uh, I believe, and I also teach it in uh, our university, that uh, making architecture is not only to make physical environment, but also uh, talking, uh, writing. All, all we are doing now, I think, is in some way also uh, making architecture environment, because uh, we are together uh, thinking about something which change our mind and uh, this way is it also changed our perceiving of architecture so 
for me, this is a very wide, wide term uh, architecture. Yeah, it's not object and people and uh, uh, landscape. No. I'm wondering whether we should open this up to the floor um, yeah. because we've been going now for an hour. So maybe, or maybe we could open for audience. Oh, lots of questions. Well, you're the closest to me, sorry. Yeah, I, I just wanted to um, say how intriguing many of the things um, you've been talking about are. And there was something you said about space, Anthony, right at the beginning of uh, this conversation. And you were talking about space in drawings um, and architecture, I assume, in sculpture, and the way that uh, we might, as an audience or as a participant, as people, be invited to uh, experience that space. Were you thinking also about space in terms of poetry? Because I've never really thought of poetry as having space. I think about poetry as having structure. Uh, I'm directing the question to Pablo as well. Um, you know, we're thinking of um, lines and line breaks, stanzas, um, sonnets, those kinds of structures. But I hadn't actually thought about space, that those structures might create space within poem. And that may that maybe reflect back onto Pablo's poetry as a poetry that is um, about space as much as about formal structural things or experience. And is that the meeting point of you two with this book, these drawings and the poems? Are they talking together about experiences of space? I, um, can I jump in? I, I mean, the, the 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 fact is that it didn't need Stephen Hawking to tell us that space is a dimension of time, and time is a dimension of space. And I think what Pablo's poems are full of is temporal interval. You could say, you know, well, that's that's what music is. You know, you put it's the it's the silence between the notes or the relationship of the shape that the notes make to the you could say the silence around them that, that is what carries us um, and I think uh, yeah I think that uh, time cannot be divorced from space anymore <laughs> thank you very much for wonderful exchange between the two of you. Um, can I ask, Pavla, uh, I, 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 can I come back to um, the very first thing that you stated, which was that the drawings are not illustrations of the text. And I understand that um, that, that creates a wonderful um, uh, synergy between the two that allows the audience a sort of a creative entry point. But on a mundane level, can I ask you what the curatorial process then was uh, in where you selected each drawing for uh, each poem? Thank you. It's a question of uh, the process, how it, how it started. Uh, each was made separately. Anthony made his drawing separately, I made my poetry separately, but uh, what is common is uh, we talked uh, before about these topics, uh, about these feelings, uh, and then 
these this, uh, dialogues. I suggest uh, some of my poems, these cha uh, chapters. Uh, I also suggest some kind of drawings, which I knew from Antony. Antony, some of them uh, choose the same, and some of them uh, find another one, because he felt they are more they are close, more close to the to the to the topics, uh, and I uh, and I uh, create with graphic to the to the to the book. Yeah, so it was back and that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, hello. Thank you. Uh, I this is slightly related to the first question. I really wanted to thank Anthony for what aroused in me a lot of thoughts about time in relation to space. And I was actually, I couldn't help thinking of you know, angels over the Thames. And, but uh, in particular, in relation to the natural world, of course, the tiger doesn't have that problem, does he? The tiger springs. He doesn't do a drawing or think, I would like to represent that, but how should I do it? Uh, so to that extent, I. Um, yeah, I'll try to keep this short, but what I really wanted to pick up on this tension, which is never going to go away, and that got me thinking on architecture and architecture. So we've got the gap already in the beginning. The, the idea comes forward, and we're never going to catch up with it. So you go and design the building, and a lot of things might happen in between. Eventually, you've got the building done from an idea you had X years ago. So it's, it maybe is not quite what you wanted. And you can see what I'm getting to. That essentially, we're discussing space-time, and it will be a problem in language forever. <laughs> um, that's really all I want to say, that, that you're trying. I, I love what you're doing, but it's always that trying to catch up. And yet, we have discussions as though we can solve all human problems, where all our problems is that we have language. And here, I don't speak enough Czech to say this in Czech. You see the point. Thank you. It's not a question, I suppose. <laughs> I'd like to hear what you think about the gap. The gap between language? Between language, between the idea and the um, expression of it, or realization of it. I'm not uh, sure if I understand what the question, but uh, Maybe a short answer would be, uh, I think, poems could help. It's tempting to try to quote Wittgenstein at this point, but the, 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 the issue is that the hermeneutics, you know, is the way that we Certainly, I was programmed as a child to value the articulation of you know, words as an equivalent for experience uh, over the experience itself. I think that good poetry and good art is not an attempt uh, and in this, I would kind of, I think, you know, resist Pablo's insistence on the definition of shape. 
I think that good art tries to be the place in which experience arises which is fresh and immediate in the same way that you know the Jackson Pollock is no longer a picture of something remembered it is the registration of something that happened and that's a liberation it's so important that that liberation the liberation of art from the duty of representation and you could say that's the problem of language as well that that you know the word is not the thing so you know to that degree i i have a bone to pick with st john as well the 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 you know what art music poetry sculpture filmmaking can do is return us to first-hand experience and relieve us from the burden of the hermeneutics of symbolic language. Thank you for those presentations and, and following on perhaps from your last answer, Anthony, but to both of you, I'd like you to address the transactional nature, if you like, of your work, drawing, sculpture, poetry, architecture, with the audience. Is, is your work in some way completed when the audience, reader, viewer, then sees it, responds to it? And while you can't control that, you obviously have some idea of how you would like us to respond to that. So um, could you just address that, that question of the audience or the viewer somehow completing the work? Thank you. Um, well, right, I've tried to give a microphone, I'm going to jump in. Um, uh, I think the, you know, what Duchamp said, the viewer does half the work, what Gombrich called the beholder's share. I think never in, if you believe in the kind of history of art that I was taught, um, you know, never has it been clearer that the function of art has radically changed by the, the processes that have been at work in the, at the end of the 20th century. That now, um, I, I'm desperate to know what Joshua is whispering, but now that the, the idea that, that it is a participatory partnership between the artist who proposes and the viewer who in some way responds that makes the work. The work doesn't exist. The, the work has zero value, whatever Sotheby's or Christie's might say. The work has zero value until the viewer is prepared to invest the necessary attention and therefore then the feeling and the thinking into the work and make something of it. And yeah, that, I mean, that, that, I think, you know, that, that's the difference between an art that serves power and has for so long in the West, anyway, been a instrument of power relations, to art as a, as a liberating force in self determination and ideally in collective self-determination. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's about immersive art. Yeah. 
uh, immersive uh, art sculptures, drawings, and poetry, which exist only through, you, you perceive it through it. So it's not representative, but, but immersive. I want to pick up on the, what Anthony talked about, the fluidity of the environment of the house you've visited. Um, at the beginning, you talked about your art never feeling to be finished or has in, having the potential to keep evolving. So I wanted to kind of meet the two with architecture. I wanted to ask how challenging it might be and if at all it is possible to allow a building or a space to have the capacity to keep evolving with the people. Perhaps even as a family home, let's say, everybody gets older and the use of the space changes. So I'm just curious if how that is for you as an architect and how easy or not easy it is to do with the dimensions you only have to put a building within. Um, am I making sense in the question? Yeah, Thank you. it's interesting because uh, uh, the case of poems, uh, uh, I don't feel them fluid. For me, my poems are very exactly closed. I imagine that some, if you draw some line and you need a clearness of the closed shape of it, not something which is not finished. Yeah. But your question was about architecture. Uh, I think it's very uh, difficult for architects to make uh, balance between two things. Uh, one is that for me each architecture needs something like this poems which uh, help it uh, through all the changes for, through all the users which help uh, clear something clear could be uh, could be uh, core of it could be the foundation. foundation, something like this, on one side, and on the other side to be able uh, to absorb all these changes of life, but without loss of this basic, uh, something basic. Uh, maybe this is the core we are looking uh, for in our book, this, this, this uh, core, which sometimes you are not able to shape it exactly, to say what is it exactly, but we feel it's necessary to have something like this also in the architecture. Because we, I, I think architecture needs something like so, yeah. and without it, for me, it's not architecture, but some building, but not architecture. Can I follow up on that? So, something that you do often in your architecture is you look at, you, you focus on the reconstruction or the renovation of historic buildings, like churches. How do you approach that process where you're bringing an older building into the future or into the present, where it has currency and a place? but you're working with an existing object, an existing structure. It has a foundation. It has the bones, as you said. How do you approach that, then? 
maybe it's also about language. Uh, I think uh, important is to understand what is basic uh, in this uh, in this building, what, uh, which language it talks to us, and uh, uh, important is to involve the old building to our life because without it, it's only some monument without life. And the way how to do it for me is to listen to this building, uh, try to understand, and try to be partner of this dialogue. So one of the way, ways how to do it. Um, I have a question for Pavla. Um, in your talk earlier, you said that architecture for you is not a building, but it comes from here. It's about per perception. And um, when I was studying architecture, I read a lot of texts that cite Merle Ponty, and I never knew what he was talking about. Have you ever read his phenomenology and perception, and um, how do you interpret his thoughts? Which thoughts? Um, Merle Ponty? Yeah. I am uh, not able now to make this philosophical uh, disputation about Merle Ponty. But uh, sometimes in my, because I also uh, write theoretical books, sometimes I uh, have uh, dialogue with it, but I'm not able to make this philosophical speech here now, so, so sorry. <laughs> but maybe Joshua could help or Andrew. Yeah, what about Joshua? Come on. Discourse on phenomenology. Well, you know, because, because okay. late, late, late evening, late evening, English, which is not very, very close Give it to uh, language, but it's so, so I'm sorry, but please, not such kind of question. <laughs> the horrible irony of this, of course, is that my father is a Costa Raelian, he's a phenomenologist. And he might watch this video, so no. <laughs> Okay, what were, you okay, what were you whispering to Pablo? Well, oh, God. <laughs> I was whispering what she said in Czech. Oh. Um, I was rephrasing it a little bit, I hope, fairly, which was basically, can art exist without an audience? Can a poem exist without a reader? Can architecture exist if it's uninhabited? You both seem to agree that it couldn't. I would probably disagree with both of you. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, so you might go too deep in the weeds. And I, I just think about the history of art which goes undiscovered and still exists. I think of the... No, but hang on a minute. Um, okay. the, the, no, but this is a really interesting question because I think that the, the, the desire to make shapes, to make places, the desire to make, in a way, the invitation doesn't need to be answered immediately. I, I may well make work that uh, you know, will be seen only by life forms, or anyway, those that are unborn at, at this moment. I think that the, the, the question is whether the invitation is offered. Well, I think it's part of a conversation, right? There's there's the creative act itself, which you described in your own drawing as 
focus less on the production of an object or the objectness than inhabiting a particular time and space. And that time and space requires movement. Without movement, you don't have either time or space. You need materiality. And, material. and another point that you made, and I think it, it worked with what Paula said. You talked about how, and I thought this was very interesting, how a sculpture stands as, a, as an inner object that you must navigate around. That it's something that you project all of the attributes that it lacks onto it. And I think there's a really close connection to what Pablo was saying about architecture as the architecture isn't this building itself. It's what happens in your mind as you inhabit the building and your body receives it, right? So, you know, we could go into phenomenology where everything that you perceive is interior to you, right? And all, any sense that we have of otherness, of the other, of alterity, comes through the reflected gaze back at so sculpture. A sculpture or a piece of artwork doesn't do that. It doesn't actually look back at you. So in a way, it, you need to project not just into it, but from it back to yourself to, I think, inhabit that. And in the creation of that, that's the dialogue I think that's happening. You are, you are your own audience at that moment. And the discovery that comes later of that work, The Ruins of Pompeii, the, the unfinished novel, the great novel that's published posthumously, Emily Dickinson's poems, right, which became canonical far later. One can't say they didn't exist, that participation happened the moment they were created. They well, they the participation have... happened. I mean, I, I would just, I would just, um, I, 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 I went along with just uh, nine-tenths the way. I think the, 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 the main thing is that it isn't, we are not creating things in order to produce thoughts. I think we are creating things in order to involve the physical uh, yeah, being of the, the viewer participant. And for me, it is, it is primarily um, embodied. So, so the way that you move through spaces of architecture, the way that you might move around or through or between uh, the spaces of, of a sculpture. And, and for me, I'm very interested in this saying, you know, well, well isn't the body the first habitation? And can we, can we really think when we know so much about our, as it were, perceptual field, think of the body as defined by its bounding condition, defined by its skin? No, we can't. I, I think it's impossible. And, and the, the, the idea, anyway, that, that um, both architecture and sculpture provide affordances for the body to discover itself in exactly the way, the proprioceptive way that Joshua has just described, but through, as it were, the matrix of this materialization um, of, of yeah, potential, which is, I think, what you know, what uh, unites uh, what Pablo does in our architecture and what I try to do with my 
Are there more questions? We were getting a bit more lively, aren't we? <laughs> Decisions that we make in our domestic 
it's really, it's absolutely vital that that art uh, yeah, takes that uh, central position of giving us the, the, the foundation of first-hand experience of our own being. There's only one subject that art has ever needed to deal with, and that is life, and what it feels like to be alive, and then maybe, you know, what counts as a as a good life. I mean, that's all, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't need Aristotle to tell us that. It's, it's so clear. And we're living in a time of mass distraction. The, you know, a out of out of control late capitalism that is entirely based on creating false needs uh, and has absolutely no responsibility. Uh, and I think that, well, maybe it's a heavy burden, but art can relink us with the with the the sovereign value of individual experience and self determination. Sorry, this is now sounding like some political trend. But it's, but it's so important. I mean, when art has been devalued to the point where it's actually, you know, the last like auction price that that, that gains people's attention, you know, it, 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 it is in a dangerous place. Art is made to be shared. Artists, you know, I don't have a choice. I, I you know, I, I, I feel that. You know, I, I had a vocation, and this is what I need to do. It's a huge privilege, but it only makes sense once it starts being shared. And what does that sharing mean? It means that it, it's it's a it's an instrument for exactly what you were asking. You know, can it can it can it act as a catalyst for self awareness, and not just self awareness, awareness of our connectivity to the other. You know living things in the biosphere to a connectivity to our dependency on this on this you know planet uh, to our connectivity with space in an ever expanding cosmos um, you know that that's a in a way for me a sacred duty that art carries that has been trivialized in the way that it's been yeah both institutionalized and commodified sorry that's a trap well, I think there's another dimension as well, and one that you've both talked about separately, which is also the idea of art as a site for preserving memory, and art as a barrier against the kind of amnesia that, you know, the digital realm promotes, right? I mean, there was a joke earlier, Somebody made, you know, like, hey, why don't you do an Angel of the North or West or, you know, mass produces. It's like, yeah, let's turn it into an NFT, right? I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous proposition. <laughs> let's turn it into something totally not monumental and temporary. And then you started talking about what that sculpture means as a site of memory. And at the same time, we were looking at this uh, book that Pablo produced of her memorial to Jan Palak. Jan Palak was this Czech dissident who. Immolated himself to protest the, the communist regime. And uh, so you both work in a way on memorials, and I think preserving memory and, and battling that amnesia is an important site of art 
and purpose of it, not just in terms of connecting with the moment, in terms of the tactile, physical world, but preserving a record of what was, that it actually existed, you know, because there's so much erasure. So maybe you want to say something about that, because you do both work in memory. Not only about memory, but uh, back to the question of the role of the art, yeah, because he is in the introduction of the book something I think important. Philosophy as well seeks its universal equivalence of being in the relationship stretching from the smallest particles up into infinity. Science is limited by the boundaries of the proverbial philosopher, philosophy by the boundaries of reason. Only art holds the capability of reaching beyond these two limitations. Which is a little bit answer to your question, I think. Uh, because I think art is only kind of tool, yeah. But what is important is what we want to say, the the uh, content of what we want to say, and uh, this is all about art. And architecture is only tool, and this tool fits better for some things we want to say, and don't work. So maybe. Um, 
that, that idea or metaphysical notion of future, I would like to you know, qualify with the idea of, 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 of sculpture as a, and, and, and architecture actually, as, as a profound expression of hope for human continuance in terms of our relationship to, to the creation of life on this planet. And I think that that is, you know, that, that's lost um, uh, in relation to your question uh, in, in, in the present status of art um, as an as a, you know, item of exchange or as an item of, in a way, uh, kind of cu cultural self-knowledge. If there is not any other questions, uh, I think it was a great uh to conclude the evening, so if you please join me in the round of applause for our guests. I just wanted to finish the sentence for the, the wonderful evening, uh, the poetic one, as well, definitely for the first half of the evening, and clearly the intellectually stimulating the second half, which really invites us Thank you for coming.